Welcome to the Infrastructure Podcast. My name is Anthony Oliver and today's discussion will focus on the importance of understanding risk as a vital step towards being able to effectively manage projects while also protecting your business and its reputation. I know anyone working in the infrastructure sector is familiar with the need to identify, to quantify and to manage risk, be that around performance, uh, safety, programme or perhaps budget. But to what extent do modern professionals really fully understand the risks that they're assessing and really fully understand the consequences for their project or their business of actually getting that assessment right or even wrong. Uh, Infrastructure is a complex business and the world we're in is an increasingly complex place right now. Uh, It's therefore vital for modern leaders to really understand the risks that surround them and to be aware of the potential reputational consequences of the decisions that they make. Get it right and businesses thrive, get it wrong and crisis is usually just around the corner. Um, so to help us to understand more about this vital issue, it's my pleasure to welcome George Hutchinson, Chief Executive and Founder of Reputational Risk and Crisis Management Consultancy, River Ephra. George spends his time helping a range of clients across multiple industry sectors to really understand the threats they face and the steps that they can take to protect their reputations. So George, welcome to the Infrastructure Podcast. Thank you, Anthony. It's a pleasure to be here. So. George, let's get into this. Um, Most people working uh, in the infrastructure sector will be familiar uh, with the need to identify and manage risk during planning, during design, during construction, during operation of assets. But how would you define management of reputational risk? I mean, is that different or is that all part of the same kind of process? In a way, it's all part of the same kind of process. Um, but it's important to note that reputational risk is it's a secondary risk. It's never a risk that just arises out of itself. Mm-hmm. It's a risk that arises if you're in infrastructure, if you don't manage to run the trains on time over a long period of time, if you have major incidents on a you know, construction site. Those are your critical risks those risks can have really long-term reputational consequence. You only need to look at back at RailTrack, for example. Why doesn't RailTrack exist in the UK today? Because it didn't manage its reputational risk that came from operational failings of that railway. Right. And that gave uh-huh. the government then of the day the ability to say, we're going to take you away. Whether legally or, un- or, or actually otherwise, they did it. And it was so unpopular nobody questioned it. Well, some great examples there of, of, of things that have gone wrong. And, and, and are there any others that you see right now all around us? Well, I mean, if you look at it uh, today, um, you've got a lot of organisations actually dealing with behavioural risk at the moment, whereby is the faith and trust in them? And only yesterday you actually saw the membership of the CBI turn around and say, well, actually, yes, we're going to give you a second chance. We're going to carry on. Mm-hmm. But... This risk that had been a risk around behaviour became a reputational risk that was systemically threatening to their very survival. You look at P&O Ferries. Was P&O Ferries' decision to take away all of their staff in one go by video actually the right decision for their customers to continue to have faith in them. Clearly something that wasn't necessarily that well thought through, that's for sure. How does it typically manifest itself in the infrastructure sector? So one of the things that I've observed, and I've worked in the infrastructure sector for many years, on and off with different clients and also in-house, was infrastructure's brilliant, actually, at managing operational risk. They really understand that. And actually, you know, if you go back in the past, health and safety risk, it's really well managed. People used to die on building sites in the 1980s. 
generally speaking, unless there's a major incident, they don't anymore. And that's because health and safety is really well managed. And then you get litigation risk, you get financial risk, and all of those things are well managed. And then it comes to the reputational piece. And one of the phrases that actually really does get to me is, after this thing has gone wrong, often they're accused of putting their reputation first. Well, clearly they didn't put their reputation first because <laughs> yeah. it is in the dustbin at this point in time. Right. They didn't think about the consequence. They thought they could get their PR department or corporate affairs department to make it just go away. Right. It's a PR problem. Mm-hmm. Well, it's not a PR problem if there are major incidents. Right. It's not a PR problem if your infrastructure is failing to do what it was meant to be doing. And I know we may end up touching on the water companies at some point, but was that a PR problem or was that a problem of actually right, huge yeah. amounts of sewage going into our waterways and the sea? Well, hold that thought because we will get into that, I'm sure, a bit later on. I mean, you've just set up River Ephra. Um, uh, I mean, what is the business? Um, how do you help your clients? And suppose, typically, who are they? So... River Ephra, and I'll give you a little bit of background into the name. So I grew up in Clapham and uh, sort of the Brixton end of Clapham, and I now live in Herne Hill. Mm-hmm. And River Ephra is one of London's hidden rivers, and it flows right by where I grew up and by where I now live. Right. But if so we're standing right on top of the River Ephra right now. Are we are standing right on top of the River Ephra right now. Um, one of the things, however, if there is an analogy for risk and crisis, it's even if you hide the water in the river beneath the road, it still has to flow somewhere. It needs managing. It needs dealing with. And in this instance, really what River Ephra does for clients is we help them understand in the same way that, for example, the lawyers will look at the risk. And then they talk about the litigation consequence. So they will say there could be a charge here. It could end up in a major fine. It, you know, The consequences for you, even up to things like corporate manslaughter, right, yeah. can be very significant. And they point that out. Mm -hmm. And oftentimes, actually, in the world I grew up in, which was the corporate affairs PR world, we'd stop at the audience won't like that. And that allowed senior teams to kind of say, well, then they'll deal with that. Whereas, actually, if you can spell out the consequence, the consequence of your customers hating you and not buying things from you, is actually can be hugely significant. And that is the point. Because as you say, just because you can't see it doesn't necessarily mean it ain't happening, it's not flowing. What makes this a great time for you to launch the business right now? I mean, mean, is there a current link with the the current state of the UK economy or the inflationary pressures or business or the global geopolitics which are going crazy at the moment? Uh, I mean, you're absolutely right. If you just look at, for example, um, the economic climate at the moment, particularly in the UK... Uh, you had a lot of business leaders standing up there and talking about how purposeful they were going to be and how that really started with their people. Well, if you hit a downturn and you need to restructure and you need to take out members of staff because actually to keep the business viable, that really matters, the promises you made beforehand may not stand the test of time. And there is a significant risk. That risk can be around recruitment. It can be around what your customers think of you all the way through and actually even into regulatory consequence. Are you managing that well or not? And if you are, great. If it's the right decision for the business, stand proudly behind it. But don't somehow, again, come back to your PR people and say, can you just hide this? Can you make it go away? When you hide things, it gets worse. And then you look at the geopolitical situation and you know how many business leaders are enabled to be able to make decisions well around do they have operations in the 
areas of Russian influence. If China was to invade Taiwan, what is the consequence for you as a business? Those can have huge reputational consequences and the geopolitical risk on that dial is coming up. And finally, then you look at, for example, what's going on in terms of the woke wars, potentially into, you know, how many chief execs are really able to navigate the subject of should you have gender-based or sex-based toilets in your business? Right, yeah. Um, those are really hard questions to answer. And a huge range of, of really difficult questions that you're covering there in just that very short description. I mean, you've also been doing some uh, some research uh, that coincided with the launch, which uh, you, you know, it's a very interesting research called Under Pressure, uh, which is into company leaders' attitudes to risk and, and how they typically approach and manage it, particularly as the report title uh, alludes, when they're under pressure. I mean, what do you learn about that? Um, Two things. One of the observations early on in my career was that organisations are trained to manage risk through the process and the plans. And actually, whilst those are critically important, if you look, for example, at the Metropolitan Police at the moment, how well do the public think they are managing their risks? I think the jury's definitely still (laughs) out on that one. But was it because their plan and their process wasn't great? This is an organisation that knows how to run a gold, silver, bronze response process. It's in legislation that they do it. So it's not the plan and the process. It's the strategic decisions they make. And then secondly, it's about how they perform under pressure. And that's why really I was digging into that research about leadership performance when things get difficult. And for me, if I'm thinking about the infrastructure in the engineering sector, um, actually technically correct bias can quite often play out. Right. We're right. We're the scientists. We're the engineers. We know that this is the correct decision. However, if public opinion is so far against you, mm-hmm. that decision might not be the right decision. So if you were an automotive player and actually your senior engineers believed that diesel was the best transition technology to EV post-dieselgate, they may technically have been correct. But from a sales and marketing and sustainability of that business perspective, they were completely wrong. Right. I mean, the research highlights a number of key character traits and you know their typical responses. I mean, uh, to name a few, the hero, uh, we've, we've all met them, the crusader, the person who believes that their organisation's work uh, is in such is such a noble cause that, you know, that anything goes, or the disaster bias, uh, someone who believes everything is irredeemably broken. Uh, I mean, without getting into too much detail i mean why are they so important yeah give us give us a quick summary of of those biases um you only need to look at for example i think when you look at the post office for the moment and i don't know how familiar you are with the horizon scandal but Mm -hmm. the post office sent more than seven well successfully prosecuted more than 700 postmasters and postmistresses over a nearly a decade um and you now have a public inquiry looking at how did they get there and for me, you know, to an extent, you think about all-in bias. We've invested so much in this process, in this computer system, that it must be infallible, mm-hmm. and therefore something else is going wrong. And actually, once you prosecuted the first person, well, it's hard to step back from that. When you prosecuted 10 successfully, that's a lot harder. Right, yeah, yeah. When the numbers are in the hundreds... But actually, the red flags should have been up. And I'm not going to preempt the findings of the, in, mm. the inquiry that is going on. 
But actually, you just need to read the news articles to kind of be, how did leadership continue going down that path? And so that's the, really hard. So these are traits that basically that shape the way that leaders take their organisations. Um, I mean, you also draw parallels between the training of business leadership and uh, elite sport, uh, particularly the way individuals uh, make decisions in stressful situations. I mean, how would you say this might help leaders in the infrastructure sector? Uh, the beauty of elite sports, uh, and I'm working with a leading sports psychologist, performance psychologist in this area, is that it's an arena that we create to show brilliant people under extreme stress and to see how they perform. You know, the best strikers in the Premiership can score technically penalties every time. The goalkeeper actually <laughs> doesn't have a chance. Mm. It's not about the technical. It's not about that. It's about performance under pressure. And actually, when you think about a major crisis for a business leader, that major crisis creates really alien environments. Those alien environments are, there's very limited information, yet they need to make the decision faster than normal. Right, yeah. And then secondly, their previous decisions are in question. Something else that is very alien to them. That can create very challenging behaviours as you go forward that actually leads to poor decisions being made. Right, yeah. Um, but the research also paints a fairly dim view of corporate culture, I must say. Uh, you know, it's a high percentage of, of leaders describing their leadership team as dysfunctional. Um, and we should be worried. <laughs> um, actually, I think the answer is absolutely not. Right. In the past, if we were to go back, I'm, you know, 20, 30 years, the beginning of my career, um, I'm not sure business leaders thought that hard about this stuff. Right. The fact they are considering it, they're thinking about it, they're trying to work out how do we deliver the most high-performing team mm -hmm. in the right space to deliver to our customers and our shareholders. And that's a, uh, that's a great place to be. Now, the fact that they're highlighting maybe our team doesn't function actually at the right level as it should means, well, they know they should do something about yeah. it to perform better. Going back to the name of your business, uh, you know, they're not just ignoring the fact that the river is flowing on and on and on. They're actually dealing with it. So, uh, George, let's talk about you. Your background is, as you said, is in public relations and government communications. You've worked for agencies such as Burson Marstella, uh, Tensio Blue Rubicon, Weber Shandwick, and in-house you've worked as Director of External Affairs for private train operator TubeLines. Um, as I say, you launched the River Effort business last year to really focus on helping businesses to manage their reputations. You know, what excites you about managing risk? The ability to help leaders in a really tight spot unpick that challenge, navigate their way through, and rebuild in the right way to deliver fundamentally the best outcomes to the customer and to their shareholders um that it, it's brilliant and you're at the heart of it and oftentimes even early on in my career when you were going through systemic threats to organizations and businesses when that threat was live you were at the heart of it because actually reputation at that point they get really matters mm. it's just then when you stepped away and the crisis died down Maybe you were in the room along the corridor that they came to occasionally. Yeah. So, I mean, tube lines, I imagine there were quite a few crises that were happening on a regular basis. Um, you know, the underground and the, the PPP for London Underground, you know, clearly Ken Livingstone resigned from the Labour Party over the policy. Mm -hmm. you ha we had a client who didn't like us, who didn't want us to be there. Yeah. That creates its own risks. And at, if you looked at the time at the performance of the Northern Line that we inherited, 
Um, it had real challenges. Yeah. I'd still oh, like yeah. to think we did quite a good job in that space. Yeah, no, no they, were, they were they were interesting times with uh, with, with uh, uh, Terry Morgan down there, and certainly a lot of, a lot of battles being fought on a lot of fronts. Um, I mean, how are these how are these times and these challenges changing now? Because I mean, presumably we have moved on since those days. Things are different. They are different, and they're more complicated, and they're more difficult. <laughs> Unfortunately, I think is the answer. You've got the kind of the global megatrends. Mm. We've already talked about the geopolitical risk that is sitting there. And the list of material risks that sit in the reputation space that come out, out after businesses is so much longer than it used to be. Right. You know, uh, from an HR perspective, well, actually, you could NDA, you could have lockout clauses for people as they left. Those things don't stand in the same way they used to. Right. That's a good thing. But it actually means managing the risk is more difficult. There are so many other examples. And you know, when I first set up this business, I remember talking about kind of trade wars and geopolitics. And you had to add the word war in there. Yeah. It's just a lot more difficult. Yeah, yeah. Has there been a seminal moment that shaped your career development, do you think? I, I mean, I do think my time on, uh, on the London Underground at Tube Lines, um, there was a derailment on a Friday, a derailment on, a, on the Sunday. And on the Monday morning, Ken Livingstone, who I've already said was our client, turned around and the mayor of London at the time and said, I don't know what it was, but in my bones, I believe it was the private sector cutting corners. Right. Um, that was a hugely challenging three months until actually we understood that the um, fault, particularly on the Northern Line, was an old design by British Rail from 1969, et cetera, et cetera. Yeah, yeah. But managing your way through, knowing that actually day to day, you didn't know whether you were going to quite survive. That was a hugely challenging but fascinating period. Yeah, certainly uh, I, I do remember those times uh, very well. Um, we're sitting here in your kitchen. Uh, thank you very much for inviting me. Uh, and I also know you're an excellent and very passionate cook. I mean, ask me how I know. Um, <laughs> what do you enjoy about cooking? What is it about cooking which kind of like uh, really sets your sets you, you know, sets you afire? So as, uh, I mean, clearly listeners can't see this, but you'll be able to see quite a lot of cookbooks sitting in and around this room. And I've got more everywhere. There are I read them. <laughs> I never follow a recipe because it's a creative process for me. It's about thinking about what works together, understanding technically how it works, and then mm -hmm. being able to do that. So just as an example, in a way, I think the Americans bake much better than the British. Because an American, because they use the cup system, will know broadly the volumes of flour, sugar and eggs and butter to be able to make a cake. Right. Us Brits, we're looking at digital scales down to the 0.2 of a gram for something that is just a cake. It's ridiculous. That's where I've been going wrong, clearly. Oh, <laughs> definitely. Well, you know, it seems to work for you, that's for sure. Um, what's the riskiest thing that you get up to in your own life? I mean, I mean, does it involve barbecues, for instance? I don't know. What do you, what do, you do in your life that's risky? Uh, I've got a pizza oven in the garden. I'm not sure whether that's particularly risky, but yeah, I do occasionally, and I have a number of burns on my hands um, at the moment as we speak. Um, but beyond that, I guess, no, I, uh, it's about the management of risk, effectively. It's not really about taking ri uh, significant risks. Right. But it also goes back to a point that organisations in this world can end up becoming so risk averse that they actually stop doing what they need to do. And that, you know, the part of capitalism that really works is that actually it should be a creative process right. to come out with the new. If you're too risk averse, you destroy that. You need to be mm. risk aware 
and then think about your audiences and are they in the same place? For me, I thought you were going to talk about need to break eggs to make omelettes. But anyway, <laughs> let's talk about some very specific hypothetical examples and get your free cons- consultancy advice. I'm starting with transportation. Imagine I'm a transport operator. Should I run as many services as I can and risk having to cancel some of them and being branded unreliable? Or should I run reduced services and risk being seen as ineffectual? Um, it's a, I guess it's a sort of Hobbesian choice, but it's also a false choice, isn't it, there, when we're really thinking about that. Um, it depends on your brand. If your brand is Ryanair's brand, well, actually, the kind of treatment of customers, because you are low cost, reinforces that brand. What Ryanair could never afford to do, however, because they are a low cost airline, was ever be seen to be cutting corners on the safety of their planes and pilots, etc. Mm-hmm. So who are you as a business? What do you stand for? And are you standing behind that in the right way? Um, you know, if you are going to be much more of a British Airways, customers expect their planes to take off and land on time. That is why they're paying a premium. Right, if yeah. that's not happening, then you have a greater problem okay. in those areas. Um, what about water? You mentioned water earlier. I mean, how much reputational risk should water companies withstand before biting the bullet and investing to protect beaches from pollution. So I think we've oversimplified the argument there, and it goes back to something that I'm in the research we've come out with, which is lawful bias. Um, It's within the bounds of what is legal or agreed with the regulator, therefore we're allowed to do it. Right. The question should have been asked is, is it sensible? And will the public accept it? Because even if that's what the regulatory requirements are saying, if you believe they're wrong and you're the chief exec or the leadership team of that organisation, you should be saying to your regulator, no, we need to be able to invest more in this area because actually there is a problem. And I think on all sides, there was a failing there to ensure that actually the right levels of investment were going into the system to allow it to happen. Right. I'm sure there was some water companies knocking your door tomorrow. Um, Final one, housing. I mean, post-Grenfell, the cladding installation uh, landscape has, you know, rightly changed dramatically. What advice would you give to a residential developer, for instance, considering investing in a new building or refurbishing an old one? So there are lots of issues to do with Grenfell that I'm not going to have time to go into here. But actually, the ability to sell on property is a critical piece of the value of that property. And if you are a developer and you are not putting in the right standard of cladding and you're leaving people with properties, as has been the case, that they can't sell, what you're actually doing is you're damaging your entire marketplace. understand the consequence of what you're doing one short-term profit can actually lead to a consequence which is significant and that is without going into the details of Grenfell and actually the awful loss of life right um okay well finally I mean just a wrap up today your background is as we said is in public relations and you say words are a partial response um I mean to what extent can a decent PR campaign really get a business out of a poor uh, reputational risk management hole? If the problem is actually about perception, then a really good PR campaign can make a very significant difference. Most of the time, however, there is a little bit of smoke with the fire and that becomes the problem. Deal with the issue. If you deal with the issue, then great comms really matters. 
because it can follow. It can actually build you trust and faith in actually the organisation as a whole. Right, but if you're not dealing with the issue, if you're trying to paper over those cracks, then they're just going to get worse. They're absolutely going to get worse. And probably the most damaging element of any crisis is when it's seen to be a cover-up. Right. And there are so many examples of that that I don't think I need to go into them. Okay. Uh, finally, finally, I mean, you say that leaders should be prepared to listen uh, to their advisors, even when that advice is uncomfortable. So what is your advice to infrastructure leaders listening today who might be grappling um, to understand the growing risks that surround them and may well be haunting them very soon in the future? Um, Businesses, governments, organisations are built to help the leader be right. And in good times, that is a brilliant. It means decisions can be taken quickly. They're the right decisions. They're well evidenced. And you can move forward at pace. And that's actually a really good business running. The problem is when there is an issue, do you have the right people around you to be able to say, hang on a second, to be able to call out and they're trusted advisors to you so that you're hearing what they're saying. And it may mean that sometimes you need to reverse course. Um, The hardest thing I think for businesses to say is sorry. It doesn't mean you've got litigation coming at you. You can use adjectives that mean that you're being the human being. If there's been a major incident and somebody's been hurt, you can call it a tragedy. It's a tragedy. I don't think there's any lawyer in the country who could say, well, that means you've accepted that it was all your responsibility, etc. You haven't. Okay. The world is indeed increasingly complex. And uh, uh, thanks very much for joining me today to try and uh, help us navigate a path through this complexity. George, thanks very much. Thank you. Uh, well, that's all we've got time for today. Uh, but there'll be more from the Infrastructure Podcast in the pipeline and more guests to talk to as we continue to probe the big issues faced across the sector. If you haven't done so already, do check out the Infrastructure Podcast website. That's www.infrastructure-podcast.com where you will find background links to some of the issues discussed today uh, and all the latest podcasts to listen to and to share with colleagues. So, Thanks for joining us. Uh, Thanks again to George, and I look forward to seeing you again very soon.